Good morning. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, uh, you're going to need one. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning, but somehow we're only going to get through two verses. So uh, you're going to need a Bible. Uh, If you don't have one, go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will give you a Bible that you can use for the service and follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, will you just keep the one that you receive? And uh, let that be an open door for you to discover who God is and how much he loves you. Um, This morning, as Ryan said, uh, we are celebrating 30 years as a church. And um, we'll just gather together afterwards for a potluck and and enjoy each other during that time. Um, And so as we get started this morning, I want to talk a little bit about these 30 years and kind of a common thread that has appeared throughout the 30-year history of this church. I haven't been here for the full 30 years. Um, We've only been here for about nine years, I think, now. But um, I've had the privilege as the pastor of of looking back and and going through um, some of what's been there over the last 30 years. What this church was founded on, um, what it believed in, what, what kind of vision was there to establish this church when it first got going that long ago. And uh, I want to just go and and highlight a bit of a theme that has appeared throughout those 30 years. And so if you go back to our original constitution from when this church was founded, you're going to see phrases like this, like faithful proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is something that Chapel Hill Church committed to from the very beginning. This is something that would distinguish Chapel Hill Church. This is something that would be of value, something that we would be known for. This is important to Chapel Hill Church. And within that original constitution were these words as well. To declare what God has done in and through Jesus Christ for the salvation of man to our community first, then to our state, our country, and the world. And this is the kind of mentality, this is the kind of mindset That was there from the beginning when this church started. And over time, the constitution of the church, the values of the church have been refreshed and revisited. But over and over again, this same kind of idea comes back. You look at the 2000 constitution and what was put in there. You'll see words like this. Our personal involvement in sharing Christ reflects the heart of Jesus that all people may know him. There it is again. There's a desire here in this church to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moving ahead to the 2004 constitution, you'll see phrases like reach others for Christ, reflect Christ's love. You see this thread come through over and over and over again. And so when I came on, as we we revisited this, this constitution, the vision of the church and the mission of the church and the values of the church, these things came through again and again and so we have our current constitution where within the vision of the church you see this phrase passionately living out the mission that God has given us and what is that mission for Chapel Hill Church it's to guide people into a flourishing contagious relationship with Jesus Christ and you'll see in our three values growing in Christ living in love and impacting the world that this thread just continues to flow throughout the history of Chapel Hill Church This is who we are. We want to make God's truth known in Egan and beyond. This has been a part of the very makeup of this church from the start. 
And we want to stay on that. We want to keep going back to the foundation of this church and continue to see the things that God reveals to us in his word. We want to be true to what he has called this church to. And so when we look back over the last 30 years, there have been ups and downs, comings and goings, all kinds of transitions and changes. That's normal. That happens in all churches. But there are things that remain consistent throughout the history of any church that should remain consistent throughout the history of any church. And these are some of the things that we hold on to here and celebrate here. And as we look back over 30 years, we want to celebrate the fact that this declaration of God's truth is a very, very, very important part of who we are as a church. And that's what we're celebrating looking back over 30 years. God's faithfulness to us has been evident throughout. He has carried us through all kinds of things. But he has always held on to this vision for us, for his church, for his people. And we want to stick to that vision. We want to affirm that vision. We want to go after fulfilling that vision in, in bigger and better ways over and over and over again. Just keep coming back to this and saying, God, yes, we are committed to this. Yes, we want to have an impact as your church in this world. God, use us for those purposes. So will you just pray with me right now? And um, let's just thank God for his faithfulness. And again, just commit ourselves to what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, as we look back over the the history of your church, not just 30 years, but thousands of years, as we look back, we can just see your faithfulness over and over and over again. We see the covenant that you have made with your people. We see you revealing your will. We see you revealing your laws, your plan, your vision for your people. And God, we, we want to stay so closely attached to what that is. God, I want to thank you for 30 years of faithfulness to this church. I want to thank you for, for all that you've done to bring us together. For the ways that you've worked in our lives. For the, the different places that you've moved us to, to bring us here. For all the ways that you have provided. Father, thank you for this piece of property, for this building for this, lo- this amazing location right here in this community. Thank you for the people that you have put around us. Thank you for faithfully providing all that we have needed to pay the bills here and not just do that, but to, to hire quality people and carry out quality ministries here. God, we know that you have your hand on this church that you have never taken your hand off this church. And, and, and you know that later on we'll talk about the fact that, that you don't just lose the ones who have been given to you. That you keep your people. That you sustain your people. And I thank you for that, Father. Thank you for all the ways that you have sustained this church. I want to thank you for, for bringing me and my family personally into this church. For all that this church means to us. And in our short history here, how, how we have grown and been encouraged and been affirmed and, and have just been reminded again and again and again of your love for us. So God, will you just keep us on track? May this thread that we see of, 
having an impact in this world, of, of reaching this world with the, the truth of the gospel. May that just stay deeply rooted here and just be who we are. God, we ask for your continued blessing on this church. We ask for your continued provision, for your continued guidance. We ask for fullness of your spirit here. We ask for lives to be transformed. We ask for lives to be saved. And Father, may the next 30 years just continue to reflect your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness. May this church be a light that shines brighter and brighter and brighter in this community, in each of our communities, in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. Father, use us for your will and your purpose. We are yours and we just commit ourselves to you once again. And we do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. This series is called The Light, and um, we are just a few weeks into this series. We're going to work our way through the book of First Peter. And while we're working our way through the book of First Peter, God's going to show us all kinds of things about what it means to be the light in this world, to be his light, to allow his light to shine through us in this world, no matter what this world throws at us. And it's going to throw some stuff at us. And we will learn as we go just how, how much persecution there was during the time that Peter wrote this letter. And we're going to see it in our own lives. We're going to see it in the lives of our kids, in their lives. We're going to see it in the future. That persecution is stepping up. And so we need to be very much aware of what God has to offer us in his word when it comes to how we stand firm and let our light shine in the midst of persecution. And so we're going to talk about the Jerusalem mandate as we go. We're going to talk about our light shining in our neighborhoods and learn together how we can do that. So let's begin this morning with 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to read the first two verses and then take them apart. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. When's the last time you started a letter that way? (laughs) That is a mouthful. We skip right on through the greetings when we do our letters. We're very, very quick to just say, dear so-and-so, and and on we go. Let's get into the content. Um, Peter has something to say in the first two verses of this book, in the very first sentences of this letter that he writes to the church that is scattered. And, And these words need to sink in. We can't just blow by that mouthful that we just read. We need to take some time. And let it sink in and really look at what Peter is saying here. Why did he start his letter this way? What's in there for us? And I got to admit, this has been just an incredibly encouraging journey for me. Just looking at these two verses. And I hope that today you're going to get all kinds of affirmation out of these two verses. Because that's why they're there. Peter is affirming the church. He's reminding the church of who they are. 
And we need to be reminded of who we are. And so we're going to break down this, this study of these two verses. And here's what I want to do. I want to walk through specific little phrases or word pairings or individual words. And we're going to start by looking at elect exiles. Why is he writing to the elect exiles? And I know when I say the word elect, all the Calvinists are salivating. We're ready to go. And now here we go with the big debate. Just listen to God's word, okay? We'll just, we'll just work through that. We're going to talk about elect exiles. We're going to talk about the dispersion. What does Peter mean when he talks about the dispersion? Obviously, something was dispersed. What is this? What is he going to talk about? Then we're going to go into this phrase. The foreknowledge of God the Father. We have to understand that. We have to understand what that means. This is a very, very affirming statement. And then we're going to look at this phrase. The sanctification of the Spirit. When's the last time you used the word sanctification in a conversation with somebody? It's not one of those words we use all the time. So let's put it in in terms that we understand. Let's put it in terms that we can use. What does the sanctification of the Spirit mean? We'll look at that. Then we're going to go into this for obedience to Jesus Christ. Peter talks about being obedient to Christ. And we're going to look about the need for us to be obedient. And then we're going to look at this phrase. And for sprinkling with his blood. Kind of a creepy statement, but we're going to talk about the blood. We're going to talk about the blood of the covenant and what that means. And then Peter ends his opening, his greeting with talking about grace and peace and how he wants that. He wants to bless the church with grace and peace. He wants to remind them of God's grace and peace for them. And so we're going to break these things down as we go here. Let's begin with the words to those who are elect exiles. To those who are elect exiles. Elect comes from the Greek word eklektos. And eklektos means selected or chosen. Selected, chosen, favored by God. You're chosen by God for salvation. You're chosen by God to receive his favor and to become members of his kingdom, to become members of his family. Peter was writing to people that had been chosen for that. You and I have been chosen by God for those things. In Romans chapter 1 verse 7 and in Romans 15 31, this word eclectos is also translated as saints. When the Bible talks about the saints, it's talking about the chosen. It's talking about the elect. It's talking about you and me. In Acts eleven twenty six, and in 1 Peter four sixteen, which we get to later in the series, it's translated Christian. Christian. Peter refers to the Christians, to you and me, to the elect. To Christ followers, those who have been claimed by God and belong to him. We are God's elect. We are God's chosen. We share this title with the recipients of Peter's letter. We are the elect. But Peter's audience was made up of elect exiles. He said elect exiles. Okay, so exile refers to one living among strangers. One who's living among strangers. And the people that Peter was writing to were living among a people not their own. They were exiles of the dispersion. And I'll go further into that in just a little bit. I'll explain that. Now, this was both a literal term and a figurative term. It was literal in terms of being dispersed, but it was also figurative and spiritual in terms of the implications that it had. You and I 
are exiles. We do fit into this. We are being addressed here as exiles. We are not of this world. We are strangers and aliens here in this world. And so the Bible will refer to us, Paul does as well, refers to us as exiles. Doesn't mean that we don't have a home, but we are exiles. And elect exile is a beautiful title. It's a beautiful thing to be called an elect exile. We have been chosen. We have been selected by God. We are his. He is our father and heaven is our home. So we belong. This isn't about just wandering. We belong. We are merely temporarily far away from our home here on this earth. Now, for some of Peter's audience, they had been displaced. They were feeling, they were fleeing persecution. They were running. For others, they were home. For some of them, they had been in Jerusalem and they were just returning home to these places where this letter was going that Peter had written. They had been in Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost. They had seen the arrival of the Holy Spirit and all these things happen. And after their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they returned home, some of them, to these places that Peter is writing to. But none of those who received Peter's letter were truly home. Their home, like ours, was in heaven with their father. They were exiles, but they were not homeless. They were God's people, like you and me. They were his people. We are his people. Go back to the series I did over the summer about his people. We are his people. So what was this dispersion that Peter was referring to? Dispersion means scattering, okay? The church that Peter wrote to was a widely dispersed church. This was not one church in one city, in one location. He wrote a letter that was going to be read to several churches spread out over this wide region. uh, A region that we know today as modern-day Turkey. Okay? And so for all you Bible map nerds, here's your time to shine. This is a map of modern-day Turkey, and we're going to talk about some of the places that that Peter wrote to in his letter here. He mentioned five places. He mentioned Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those were mentioned in those verses that we read at the beginning of 1 Peter, okay? Start with Pontus. Pontus was a place where Jews had come from to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, and they were there in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. So they saw the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They saw Jesus' followers speaking in tongues. They heard the gospel in their own language. They were shocked. They returned to Pontus, changed people, changed people. And so one of the groups of people, the churches that Peter's writing to, is the church in Pontus, made up of Jews. They were not fleeing. This is not where they went to flee. They were going home, okay? Then we look at Galatia. Galatia's mentioned. Well, you know Galatia, the book of Galatians, okay? Paul had a significant ministry in Galatia. And so he wrote to the church in Galatia, and that's the book of Galatians that we have. So we're familiar with Galatia. Cappadocia. Cappadocia is another one of those places where, where the Jews had come from Cappadocia to Jerusalem and returned home. Okay, That's mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 9. They, those are pilgrims that had come into Jerusalem and then returned home. Pilgrims like 
Pontus, the ones in Pontus. This was the case in Asia as well. So we get over to Asia, and now we're talking about a place where Paul went on his third missionary journey. Okay, And it says in Acts chapter 19 that all the people in the region of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Through the ministry of Paul, all of the people, they boldly proclaim, heard the word of the Lord in Asia. And then we come back around to Bithynia. And Bithynia is a place that is mentioned in in the context of Paul's second missionary journey. But what we hear about Bithynia is kind of strange because Paul and his companions arrive and are ready to go into Bithynia. But it says that, that the Holy Spirit prevented them from going there. So that's where Bithynia pops up is, is, is this mention. But they didn't actually get to go in there. So this is, the, this is the region that Peter was writing to. This is the area that he was writing to. This is where the churches were that are addressed in the letter of First Peter. And I just have to say that I feel like I've got to come back and, and say this again and again. But these are real places. And those are real people. And they were real churches. This is not some story. This is not some fictional historical account. These are real. These places still exist. This is Turkey. There are descendants of those people there now. Peter was writing to real people in real places. And all of these places would face persecution. But in all of these places, they would be able to endure that persecution with hope. Why? Because Peter was going to remind them over and over and over again of who they were. They would remember who they were. They were God's people. They were his people. And because of that, they'd be able to face all this persecution that was going to come into this region. Let's look at the next phrase that Peter writes. He writes, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father... Now, this is an affirmation of the fact that the people of the church of Jesus Christ are God's elect. We have been chosen by God in his foreknowledge. So let me define foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means to know beforehand. It's that simple, okay? Nothing really strange about that one. There are at least three realities that come with this affirmation That this is all part of God's foreknowledge. Three realities. First of all, understanding this foreknowledge affirms that these people were indeed chosen. God, in his foreknowledge, chose them. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 16. He's speaking to his disciples and he says this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And on he goes to describe what they had been appointed to, what they had been chosen for. They had been chosen. We have been chosen. God chose us beforehand, long ago, long before we ever existed. God chose us. We are his elect. We've been chosen. Secondly, understanding this foreknowledge affirms that God's people are recipients of God's grace. We're recipients of God's grace. Grace comes to us not as a result of our good behavior. It comes because we were chosen to receive it. We were chosen by God long ago to receive God's grace. 
In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes that we've been saved by grace, and that grace was a gift from God to those whom he chose. He chose the people in this church that Peter's writing to, in these churches. He chose you and me, and he chose to pour out his grace on us. Thirdly, understanding this foreknowledge affirms that we are indeed loved by God. We are loved by God. In 1 John 4.10, John writes that we love because God loved us first. He loved us first. We didn't love him and receive his love as a result of our love for him. He loved us first. it's, It's not that God simply knew that we would choose him. That's not foreknowledge. It's not what it's talking about. It's not about God's ability to see into the future. It's about God's will. It's about God's plan. I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. This is God speaking, and this is what he says, and this is significant. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. All my purpose. God has a will. He has a purpose. And he will carry it out. And he has been carrying it out. God didn't merely know that you would decide to follow Christ. God has always had a plan to have a relationship with you. You are his chosen. We have to remember who we are. We are God's chosen. We are God's elect. We are his people and the object of his saving plan. What does it mean to you that God has chosen you? That you've always been part of his saving plan. He called you before you even existed. You are his. You are his elect. You are his chosen That was the plan that God knew before we even existed. And then we read the phrase, in the sanctification of the Spirit. What does God's Spirit do in our lives? He sanctifies us. He separates us. He sets us apart for God's plan and God's purpose. And the Greek word that's used here is hagiasmo. Hagiasmon, it means separation or consecration or holiness, being set apart. That's what sanctified means. God's spirit produces many things in us in the process of sanctification. At least four of those things are faith, repentance, regeneration, and adoption. There are many things that the spirit does in our lives, but I want to touch on just these four things. Faith, repentance, regeneration, and adoption. God's spirit produces faith in God's chosen. Ephesians 2.8, as we saw, reminds us that faith is a gift. It's produced in us by God's spirit. Acts 11.15-18 reminds us that God's spirit produces repentance in us. He turns us from death to life. God's spirit produces regeneration in us. Titus 3.5 speaks of that newness that comes through God's spirit working in us. 
And Romans 8, 16 and 17 speaks of our adoption as God's chosen. The Spirit bears witness to our adoption into God's family. The Spirit validates our adoption. We have been sanctified. We've been separated to what Peter describes in in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 when he refers to us as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are separated to be those people. We've been sanctified by God's spirit to be those people. And those people have indeed been separated. What have they been separated from and to? We've been separated from sin to God. We've been separated from darkness to light. We've been separated from unbelief to faith. And from a love of sin to a love of righteousness. This is God's spirit working in us. We live as God's chosen in the sanctification of God's spirit. That's what he's doing in you and me. Remember that the spirit is working in us daily. Every day, every moment, his desire is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's a lifelong process that we can invite God to do in us in one continuing process of transformation. This is the purpose for which we've been chosen. We are positioned in Christ, chosen and positioned in Christ to become like Christ, to be sanctified by God's spirit, to become like Christ. Then Peter writes that God's people are chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ. For obedience to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 talks about the works Jesus created for us. That we should walk in them. That we should be obedient to them. The Bible teaches us that obedience is evidence of our salvation. It's evidence of our election. Of us being chosen and set apart. And I love the meaning of this word obedience. It means attentive hearkening. Attentive hearkening. Remember the Sermon on the Mount over the summer? You heard me use this phrase. This is Jesus speaking over and over again. This is Jesus speaking. And we're to be attentive to his words. We're to listen. We're to, we're to be attentive, to, to hearken attentively. We're to listen and respond in obedience. We take his words seriously. They're words of life for us. Words of life. Turn to the book of First John. Uh, we need to see clearly where obedience fits into the, the grace picture that we love so much. We were set apart to receive grace, but we were also set apart to be obedient. First John. We're going to begin at First John chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm going to skip through some, some verses in First John here. And I'll tell you where we're going after each one. But... Um, John gives us this great understanding, this great picture of of how important it is that we're obedient. Um, We don't maybe spend enough time on this. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments, if we're obedient. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Go to chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. 
John continues to write. He says, no one who abides in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evidence who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Go down to chapter 3, verse 24. He writes, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Go to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. We were elected for obedience to Jesus Christ. Not just to go on acting however we want to act and receive God's grace over and over again. That is not the case. We were elected for obedience to Jesus Christ. This is how we're transformed into the image of Christ by being obedient to what he says. Because we're his and we want to be like him. And then Peter adds that we are also elected for sprinkling with Christ's blood. And this statement has to do with our security. It has to do with our security. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 37. Jesus made these statements about not losing the ones that he had been given by the Father. And so listen to these words, looking for your security. How secure are you? Jesus talks about it right now. John 6, verses 37 to 40 says this. And this is Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We are kept by Jesus Christ, and he is not going to lose us. He will keep us and raise us up on the last day. God's people are kept by God He will not let them go. He's made a covenant with us and he will not break that covenant. Those whom he's chosen, he calls to himself and he doesn't lose them. The people of Israel were kept, saved symbolically by the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant that God had made with them. Um, The author of Hebrews made reference to Exodus 24 
in Hebrews 9, 19, and 20. And this is just a quick summary of what was talked about back in Exodus 24. That's why I'm going to pick the Hebrews part. But just, just listen to this summary in, in Hebrews 9, 19, and 20. It says, For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. This is something that was done. Sacrifices were made when Moses received God's laws. And the blood from those sacrifices were put into two basins. The blood from one basin was sprinkled on the altar. That represented God's agreement to reveal his law to his people. Blood was also sprinkled on God's people. And that represented their agreement to obey the law that God was revealing to them. Jesus said in Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28, This is the blood of my covenant. This is the blood of my covenant. And this is when he instituted the Lord's Supper or communion, which we'll share together again next Sunday. We are sprinkled by that blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a sign that we're entering into a covenant with Christ where we will be obedient to his laws as through his spirit he writes his laws on our minds and on our hearts. God commits to forgive us through the blood of his son. We commit to obey God through the sprinkling of the blood of his son. Two sides to the covenant agreement. Salvation, forgiveness, and obedience. It's there. It's part of the picture. We, the elect, we, the chosen, God's elect exiles have been saved. We've been sanctified. And we have been sprinkled. Then Peter ends his greeting with the words, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter's desire for his elected, forgiven, sanctified, and sprinkled brothers and sisters was that they would receive God's gift of grace and peace in abundance. That it would flourish in them. He hoped that the reality of who they were would be a reminder of what God desired to give them daily to equip the things that they would face in their lives, whatever life would bring. Grace and peace is the blessing of the elect. Election means that you do not earn grace and peace. God gives it to you. There's no space for pride in all of this. None whatsoever, only for humble gratitude. Later in this series, we'll see in 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter writes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We'll see that come up over and over again. No space for pride in the lives of the elect. Plenty of space. Plenty of space for humility. Plenty of space for praise. Salvation, sanctification, and security have all been given to us by the one who chose us. And there's plenty of motivation here to live a life of total surrender and total dependence on God. All in these two little verses. What a way to start a letter. What a way to start a letter. Peter to the churches in Asia Minor. Remember who you are, church. Remember who you are. 
If you understand this about yourselves, you will be able to face anything that comes. Anything. Let's read it again. First Peter chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ. And for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Chapel Hill Church, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And as your heart for your world grows and you stand up, as we stand up as a church to be counted as elect exiles in our neighborhoods and in our community and in this world, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are God's people. We are God's people. We have been chosen by God's sovereign will. We have been forgiven by the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. We have been separated. We've been sanctified by God's spirit. And this is happening daily. We are lovingly obedient to Christ in response to this grace that he's poured out for us. And we are, Chapel Hill, secure in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as such people, may grace and peace be ours in abundance. In abundance. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now to take, our, take up our tithes and offerings and the worship team as well. Let me give a little instruction just for what's going to happen after the service is over. If you wouldn't mind helping with the transition to a potluck in this room, that would be fantastic. We just need the chairs stacked, scooted aside a little bit. Tables are going to come rolling in these doors right here. We'll set the tables up, get the chairs back around the tables. And then head out these back doors here, out into the line, out in the lobby to get your food. You can come back in the doors up front here, and we'll just enjoy a time of fellowship together. As you're sitting together, share with each other stories of God's faithfulness. If, if you're sitting with someone who doesn't know how you came to Chapel Hill Church, share that story with them. Let's celebrate together how faithful God has been to us over the years. And commit ourselves again to be the church that he's called us to be. Let's pray together. Father, how powerful and encouraging and affirming it is to remember who we are. God, I am simply amazed. At the fact that you, long before I even existed, had a plan to meet me where I was. And to come and walk with me through this life. To adopt me into your family. To take care of everything that was standing in the way. To freely pour out your grace on me. To change me daily through the sanctification of your spirit. You living in me. For protecting me and securing me through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. God, what an enormous blessing we have received from you.
You are so good to us. You are so generous to us. I thank you that you know who we are. And that your love for us knows no boundaries. Thank you for that love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your power in us, for your wisdom, for your strength, for all that you do for us. Thank you for the forgiveness that we experience every day, for the blood of your son that so perfectly covers all of it. God, you are amazing. You are amazing. God, remind us of who we are. Help our our minds, our thoughts to turn to that over and over again, to turn to that reminder of who we are. And from there, to step out and declare that we will be used by you to bring your kingdom to this earth. God, we want your kingdom here. We want it to come in our neighborhoods. We want it to come in our families We want it to come in our schools. We want it in this church. We want it in this community. Bring it. Bring your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.